0: morning, church. It is so good to be with you. Happy Easter to all of you. I'm just so thankful to see you all this morning, whether you're in person or whether you're online with us. We are just honored to be with you. You know, today we are boldly proclaiming the truth that hope is rising. Hope is rising. It's been a year full of fear, right? And I feel that we need some hope up in here. Is anybody with me on that? We need hope in our lives. And that doesn't hear me. That doesn't mean that we're not smart. We've we, we got to be cautious. We've got to do all these kind of things. I'm full of hope. I still wear a seatbelt. I still wear a face mask in public, right? That's, these are smart things to do. But we are called to be a people of hope. We're a people not driven by fear, but, but ones who are driven by hope. And today is the day that we celebrate the reason why. Like Eric said, this day, it's, it's everything to us as followers of Jesus. It really is. This is the biggest day of the year for us when we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. You know, hope and fear are kind of two opposite ends of a continuum, if you will. And maybe you can look at your life right now and kind of put yourself, you know, if, if fear is way over here and hope is way over there, where would you put yourself on this today? We may all come here at different places, but you know, one thing about hope and fear is they are both motivators, right? They get us moving. For example, let's say that you were ancient cave woman or caveman, right? You woke up one day, and you're hungry, and so maybe as you're hungry, you're, you're getting a little nervous, right? A little bit of fear is setting in saying, oh, man, what if it takes me a while to find some food and I get really hangry here? What's going to happen then? That could be tough. And so you're going and you're looking for food, but then you look up and you see it. This wonderful bush full of big, beautiful berries, right? You go over and you taste one, and oh, they're so good, right? And, and you have some more, and you're just filled with hope here, right? You're not hungry anymore. You get your caveman basket out. You're filling it up to take some home to your family, right? It's a good day already, and you're filled with hope. And as you're, you're filling your basket... You notice something on one of the bushes over there, it kind of rustles a little bit, right? And you look a little bit more closely to see what's going on, and all of a sudden you see it. There is a grizzly bear sleeping in the bush, right? All of a sudden, I've moved real quick from hope to fear, right? Uh, If not, well, you're not going to be around a long time if you don't move from hope to fear in that situation, you know? Because fear, well, it gets us moving. It gets us out of there because we see the bear and we need to go home because we don't want to get eaten by a bear. We don't want to be bear breakfast that day. So I need to get back to my cave to change, change my caveman pants, right? That's just how it would go. So, so hope and fear are both motivators. But I don't know about you. I would rather be motivated by hope than by fear any day. And today, I want to talk to you about why we have such reason for hope. You know, when you think about the human condition, there is always room for fear. There's always room for fear. There's always something, no matter what, there's something to be scared of. Because, I mean, let's say we could get... Uh, to the end of this pandemic. I don't know how all that works. I'm not a scientist, but we got to the end of this pandemic, let's say, and it's just wonderful, right? We feel just free from it, and there's like mask burnings in the street and all this kind of stuff, and everybody's so excited, right? Even with that, which is such a, a, a hopeful thought, even with that, there's still reasons to be scared, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all still humans. Our bodies are temporary, here on this earth, and so eventually every year we get a little older, we slow down a little bit, maybe we have more sickness and pain and all this stuff, and, and ultimately for all of us, eventually we die, right? Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> Something like, does he know what day it is? We're not supposed to talk about that today, right? But, but seriously, on every, even in, with a great thought of hope, there's still reason for fear. There's still the knowledge that there's problems and pain and all of that kind of stuff out there. But hear me clearly. Second Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Okay? So while we want to take reasonable precautions, that's wise, followers of Jesus were not called to be a people who are driven by fear. Our central motivator is not fear. No, our central motivator is hope. And the reason for it, it's all about this day. If, if you're new to this Jesus stuff, maybe you're just kind of dipping your toe in today and you're like, I don't know about this. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure even what, what we're talking about here. One thing you need to know about, about followers of Jesus is that we invest it all in this one thing. Like, we put all of our Easter eggs in this one basket, right? And that is that Jesus is risen from the dead. From the very beginning, we've said that if if that didn't happen, we, we might as well sell the building. I might as well go get a real job, right? Because it's all a myth. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's all a myth, and we're simply wasting our time. Paul said it this way in First Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But it, but he did not raise him from the dead if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead, as other people, are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So Paul's saying that these are connected. Jesus' resurrection and our hope of resurrection. That if Jesus didn't raise from the dead then, friends, this life is all there is. That anything else would just be a myth, a psychological little trick we play on ourselves to make we think there's hope when there's not really hope. And Paul says, if it's not for Jesus raising from the dead, you really got no reason for hope because this world is not going to be the best. It's going to be short-term, and then you're done. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, that changes everything. And I want to tell you this story. It's a story that we tell every Easter And it is the best story, I think, in the whole world, the most hopeful story in the whole world. But before I begin, I want you to know that just from a historical standpoint, there is more documented evidence for the story I'm about to tell you, the story of Jesus' resurrection. There's more documented historical evidence than there is for the fact that Julius Caesar even existed. Think about that. One event in Jesus' life, his resurrection, has better historical documentation than even the existence of Caesar. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been like, oh, Caesar, that's probably a myth, right? I doubt that even happened. It's a pretty well-accepted thing. And the resurrection is even stronger than that. So today we're in John 20. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your phones or on the screen. Uh, We'll start in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, this is how Easter begins. And notice, it's not a place of hope. No, it's definitely a place of fear. Mary is filled with fear when she sees that stone rolled away. She says, oh, what, God, what, what has happened now? They, first, they, they take him, and they whip him, and they crucify him, and he bleeds, and he dies. But now this? Now somebody comes, and they, they take his body? What are they going to do, drag him through the streets to further humiliate him? What's going to happen now? She's so filled with fear. Can you blame her? It was a scary thing. It wasn't what she expected to find that day. She didn't come to the tomb looking for resurrection. No, she came to the tomb to, to bury a body. So this is where Mary begins. John, on the other hand, it's, uh, John has an interesting way of writing. When he do, when he talks in his gospel, he's talking about himself. He doesn't call himself John. He calls himself uh, the other disciple, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, So whenever you see that, you know that John is, is referring to himself. So Mary goes, and she sees the tomb's empty. She's scared, so she goes back to tell John and Peter about what has happened here. And, and so, so she tells them, and then they're going to come as well. Verse 2, She came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the disciples. They are so much fun because... One of the things they loved to do was argue with each other over who was number one, right? Like who's going to be top in Jesus' kingdom. And now John is writing his gospel. It's years later. He's writing this story, the greatest story ever told. And he pauses the story to say basically, Hey, Pete, remember that day we were running to the tomb, right? And man, I was flying. I was booking it, right? And I look back and you're like, John, slow down up there, man. Like, I can't keep up. You were pathetic. I mean, do you remember how stupid you looked that day? As I got there first, and, and you were way behind. And guess what? Every Easter, for thousands of years, pastors are going to tell this story. And everybody's going to know how slow and pathetic you were, right? This is the disciples. This is how they operate, right? But so, they're, so they're running to the tomb. But as they're running, notice why they're running. It's not hope. We're running because of fear. We believe that the body has been stolen, that Jesus is not there. But when they arrived at the tomb, they're going to encounter something that literally changed the world. He says this, uh, verse 5. Then he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Okay, time out. This seems like an awkward amount of detail to go into about grave clothes, don't you think? We're, again, telling this incredible story and we're going to go into how the clothes were folded in the tomb, right? Seems kind of strange. And Whenever the Bible does something like this, you want to take note, because the Bible tends to use as few words as possible when telling many stories, so if it goes into detail, you got to ask why, and I, want, I wondered, do we have anybody here, maybe we have an expert on this, do we have anybody in the room who is an experienced grave robber, anybody, anybody, I'm looking, I, oh, I'm not seeing any, okay, well, neither am I, so we do lack expertise, but uh, you're just going to have to go with my thoughts on this since you don't know yourself, right? But I think if we're going to ra- rob a grave, I've, I've come up with three uh, easy steps by which we could do it, okay? Step number one, you're going to get rid of the Roman soldiers and move the giant stone. Well, actually, that's kind of a toughie when you think about it. But, okay, so uh, one really hard, maybe impossible step, but two easy steps. Step two, pick up the body. Okay, seems like it would make sense, right? You got to get the body out of there. You pick it up. And step three, you run like the wind, right? You run like John, not like Peter, because what about those Roman soldiers? I don't know how you got in there, but somehow you got in there, and they're not happy that you're there. And so they're coming after you, and they're heavily armed, right? That's what you do. It's a smash and grab kind of thing. You don't take a lot of time. And so the fact that the grave clothes are still there is problematic if it's a robbery, why would you take the time to be like, you know, I don't really need these grave clothes. I ju- just really want the body. I think I'll, I'll unwrap them and then I'll fold them neatly here. That way, if my grandma stops by later, she'll be impressed with my grave robbing, right? I didn't leave a mess. I left it real neat, right? Folded them, you know, on the seams just like you taught me, right? No. If, if you're robbing a grave, you grab that body and you run. And so this is a very strange Thing to see that that these this cloth these cloths are still there, right? So, verse eight. Finally, the other disciple, John, who reached the other uh, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, think about that. What did he see? Grave clothes. That's it. He hadn't seen Jesus, hasn't seen angels, hasn't seen anything like that. He went here in fear believing the body has been stolen, and he looks in and he sees these neatly folded grave clothes and he says, this is no robbery. This is Jesus. I've been with him three years. The guy is not messy, let me tell you. And he has left it like this. It's not been a a robbery. It is a resurrection. And John believes. He's filled with hope just like that. And you know, for some of us, that's how we come to belief as well, that we hear this good news about Jesus, and we say, yes, Lord, I want to give myself to you. I believe that you're real. I believe that you're risen. I believe that you've come to change my life, and I want to give myself to you. Take me. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Some of us, that's how we come to faith. And if that's you, praise God. Pastors love people like you, right? Like you hear the good news and you say yes to Jesus. It's why we do this, right? We don't do this for our own entertainment. We want people to know Jesus and to trust him. And maybe for you, you, you came more quickly to, to belief in this Jesus. That I've told you uh, recently, if you were in another service with me, that that was kind of my story, that I became a Christian when, when I was five years old. Uh, my grandfather, who I loved, had passed away. And I was very sad about that. And I was talking with my mom, and I asked her, Where, how do I see Grandpa? And she said, well, Grandpa's in heaven because not long before he died, my grandfather had given his life to Jesus. Thanks be to God. And so, so she said, you know, that, that he's in heaven with Jesus. And I said, well, what's heaven like? And she's like, it's like Disney World. <laughs> I'm in, right? <laughs> Grandpa, Disney World. Disney World. Suddenly, all my my five-year-old concerns about the problems of suffering and evil were wiped away, right? And I'm good. Maybe that was you. Maybe you were older than me. That's all right. For people who come come to faith quickly, it's not a bad thing. Don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that they're simple-minded like I was at five. Uh, Sometimes the Lord just touches us, and we know it's the Lord. We know it's real, and we say yes. Thank God. That's awesome. If that's you, I give thanks for that. John was a person for whom hope was rising quickly. He saw some basic evidence, and he believed. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you see it, see it, or you hear it from me, or you see it in those around you, or you understand this story, and you say, yes, I want to give myself to that Jesus. I'm going to pray after a bit. You can pray right along with me and do just that. Maybe there's others of you here who say, hey, that's great for somebody like, like John in the story, right, and others. They come to this hope so quickly, but that's not me. I, I'm a little more of a realist, you know? And as I look at the pains of this world and my life and stuff, I, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm here today, and I'm, or I'm watching online, and I, I just don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know. Let me tell you, friend, I am glad. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you've tuned in with us. I'm glad that you're seeking the Lord. And I want you to know that as much as I know of this place in two weeks of being here, this is a safe place to explore Jesus. I'm getting to know a lot of the folks here, and they're good folks, and they love Jesus very, very much. And, and it's the kind of place that you can come and you can explore. And, and honestly, you don't have to come to all the same conclusions that, that I do. I believe that if you seek the Lord, that he'll reveal himself to you. And I'm glad that you're here dipping your toe in the water, and I hope that you'll continue to do so. I would just encourage you, be active in doing so. Be active in seeking the Lord, because I believe that when we seek God, that we find God. And so for Peter, he was a guy with some doubts. He was a guy for whom hope rises in the midst of doubt. And if you've got doubts, it's okay. Maybe you're looking around, and you're like, "You know, I see all these people, they're happy, they're singing all this stuff. I see this praise team, they're on fire up there, and I just I don't know. I don't know that I have that same feeling. It's all right. I'm glad that you're seeking. Keep on seeking the Lord. Keep on seeking the Lord. And and you know, there's hope because Jesus loves people who are just like Peter. He does. How do we know that? Because Jesus loved Peter. I mean, check this out. When G, in the version of Mark, or Mark's version of the story, when the angel is speaking to Mary Magdalene, the angel tells her to go back and to tell the disciples uh, that Jesus is going to go ahead of them into Galilee and to meet, meet him there. And he says, tell, the angel says, tell the disciples, especially Peter. Only one disciple, got named by an angel that day, and it was Peter. Why Peter? Well, Peter had a track record recently, right? You might remember just days before, he denied three times that he even knew Jesus. If there was anybody on that first Easter morning, any disciple who had reason for fear, it's Peter. What's he going to say to me if he's actually risen from the dead? How do I look him in the eye again after how I let him down Why would there possibly be hope for me? Jesus loved Peter so much that he intentionally restored Peter. When he talked with Peter, he expressed his love to him, and he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. In other words, welcome back. You're part of this family. I told you, Peter, that you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. What you did doesn't change that. If you're like Peter, know that Jesus loves you. He came back from the dead to tell Peter that he loves him, that he forgives him, that there's hope, that there's hope. And that same hope is available to you and to me, even if hope rises a bit more slowly for you. There's a third person in our story. You know her, Mary Magdalene, or in other words, Mary of Magdala. That's where she was from. Mary is a person whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Imagine that. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. Her life had been radically changed by Jesus. Mary had a front row seat to some of the best action in Jesus' ministry. She had been traveling with him to Jerusalem, so she was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead just just the previous week before. She had seen the miracles. She had heard the teachings. Mary loved Jesus. She had so much reason to to follow him and all this. And so imagine, imagine what Good Friday was like for Mary as she watched this Lord who had cast demons out of her, this God who was so powerful, as she watches him whipped, as she watches a crown of thorns crushed into his head, as she watches these Roman soldiers abuse him and mock him. Imagine what she was like where would you have been? Jesus, why don't you stop them? You can walk on water. Why don't you stop them? But he didn't. So where's the hope? This, this Jesus that I loved so much is dead. What were all these beliefs that I had? they mean anything and for mary hope rises in the midst of grief she's hurting mary came to the tomb that day not expecting a resurrection no she came to finish a burial because you see jesus had died on friday afternoon and and the sabbath also that would day passover started at sundown so they didn't have time for a proper Jewish burial. They had to place him in the tomb pretty quickly so they wouldn't be violating the Jewish law and thus unable to celebrate the Passover. So they put him in the tomb, and Saturday was Passover. You can't do any work on that day. And, and Sunday morning, she comes as soon as she can to the tomb with a bag full of spices to embalm him and an even, bag, even bigger bag full of grief. She's hurting. Some of you have come here today and you know what it's like to be married. You've lost friends this year. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe your marriage is struggling under the weight of this pandemic and all these changes. Maybe you're grieving just what used to be and you miss it. And you say, I, I want to believe that there is some hope out there, but man, the fear, it's It's real. It's real. That was how Mary came to the tomb that day. That was how Mary even encountered Jesus that day. Verse 11 Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head, one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. The grief was overwhelming. So much that through her tears, she couldn't see Jesus. That's real stuff sometimes for us. Sometimes in our tears and our grief and our hurt, it's so hard to see Jesus. Even though he's filled with love and grace and compassion, it's just that that fear, it can be like a shade over our faith. It can make it so difficult for us to see who Jesus really is. Jesus says to her one word, though. He looks at her and he says, Mary, Mary. I wonder if it took her back to that day where she was filled with those demons And he had reached out to her for the first time. I wonder if that was the case. It triggered something inside of her, and she knew that this was no gardener. No, this is Jesus. This is the one who she saw crucified. This is the one who has healed her. This is the one who's done the miracles. This is the one who is back from the dead, and she can be filled with hope. And Mary looks at him and she says, Rabboni or rabbi, teacher, the name that she calls him. That now they have this connection that she knows that he is alive. She knows that that there is hope. And so she returns home to the other disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. I've experienced him. He is alive. I went to bury him and I came away having seen him. I know that he's real. I know that he's alive. He met me in my fear. He met me in my grief. And he is real. He is alive. And friends, let me tell you, that truth is a world-changing truth. That truth has rewritten history. It changed everything because it took there was this group of disciples, right? You know them, the 12, that had followed Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested that day, the only thing that could describe them was fear. When Jesus was arrested that day, they were hiding. They went running. They they scattered. Their Lord was there being arrested at his greatest time of need, and they hit the road. Peter denies that he even knows Jesus, right? These guys are not shining stars in this story at this point. No, they're racked with fear. But interesting thing, in just a matter of weeks, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. He's going to leave the disciples there staring up into heaven. And they had this one charge, right, to go into all the world and to preach the good news to every creature. How in the world is that going to work when you've been a people defined by fear, right? Well, let me tell you how. They saw something. The risen Christ. They saw that Jesus is not dead, that he's risen, and so this is not how we're living anymore. We're not going to be a people of fear. No, we're going to be a people of faith. We're going to be filled with hope because we know that he's alive we know that he's real we know that he's powerful that these miracles that these things that we saw that they're legit and we understand now these prophecies about him that he is the one he is the messiah he's the savior and for you and me as well we get filled with that same hope just like paul said in corinthians that if jesus is risen from the dead that means i can rise someday and so can you that means that, that as I get older and someday get sick and someday die, that it's not the end. No, it's just the beginning. The best is yet to come. That this world and all of its pains and injustices and sorrows and hurts and all these, as bad as that they are, we have a hope. We have a hope that's not a false hope. No, it's a hope in a real resurrected king one who gave his life for you and for me because he loves us, one for whom we can find forgiveness, that we may be the denier, that we may be the one who's let him down, that we may be the one who has sinned in so many ways, and there is hope for you. You may feel that there's no hope. You may fear that there's no hope, but trust me, there is. His name is Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He's alive, and he's powerful. And so you and I, we can be filled with this hope too we can be defined by this hope 1st Corinthians 15 death has been swallowed up in victory where o oh, death is your victory where o oh, death is your sting he's trash talking death <laughs> that's pretty courageous don't you think that's a people defined by hope that's who we are as easter people I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to pray right along with me. Maybe for you, you haven't made this decision to follow Jesus yet. Let today be the day. There's no better day to give your life to Jesus, to experience the new life in him. If anyone is in Christ, that person's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Jesus wants to bring newness to you today. You can say yes to him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I praise you because you are alive. You are risen from the dead. Lord, I choose to believe in you. I believe that you loved me so much that you left heaven, that you came down to this earth, that you gave your life and paid the price that I could never pay. Jesus, would you forgive me for my sins? Would you heal me? Would you free me for joyful obedience to you, Lord, that I can be Set free of all that would hold me back and free to eternal life with you. Lord, I give myself to you. I praise you and I thank you for the hope that is only found in you. Lord, I pray for those who may be here like Peter today and are doing some wrestling. God, I pray that you would continue to walk with them, to guide them, to lead them. Show yourself to them, Lord. Show them that you are real, just like you showed Mary, Peter, John, me, and so many others here. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with grief. Would you heal our hearts? Holy Spirit, fill us. We need you. We need to be filled with you. We ask that you would come in power into our lives and let us know that you are real and that you are alive. For, Lord, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' holy name.